Okay, welcome to the REI Bros podcast show where we discuss the things that matter to help you move your business and life forward. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Murad Farouz. He is a uh, doctor in physical therapy. And, um, you know, this is kind of a different topic because normally we talk about real estate tactics and strategies and how to put deals under contract. But today we're going to be talking about optimal performance, um, how you can manage your energy as an entrepreneur, because so much energy, energy is really the currency, right? Um, when you are looking at your to-do list, it seems so daunting in the beginning of the day. Uh, you have a team to lead and uh, inspire. Uh, you have things that you have to do on your own. You have things that you have to delegate. Uh, you have a lot of critical decisions that need to be made. And all of these things sap your energy as the day goes on. And so we have Dr. Murad Farouz, who's going to be talking about how you can, in the way an athlete or an Olympian would go out and optimize their athletic performance, how you can do the same as an entrepreneur and business owner. So uh, Dr. Farouz, I want to welcome you to the show and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Shamal. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking about this. I, I'm uh, excited about this topic. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I know you're extremely passionate about it. We've had a lot of um, uh, conversations off to the side on WhatsApp and, and, and in person as well uh, about a lot of things, uh, especially things that are common and mainstream and you feel that they're just completely, you know, where do they come up with that and love to hear your opinions on some of those things. But I want to get started and have you introduce yourself to the audience and to the listeners. Yeah, so if you sure. give us a little background about yourself. Yeah, no problem. I'm a New Jersey native. Um, I'm a physical therapist. I uh, got my bachelor's degree in biology from Seton Hall University. Um, I played soccer there. Um, and then I got my master's and doctorate from uh, what's, what's known as Rutgers Physical Therapy School now. It used to be called UMDNJ before. Um, so I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I'm also a strength and conditioning specialist. Uh, I have my CSCS through the NSCA. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also certified in restorative yoga. Um, I'm certified in uh, manual therapy. Um, so in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do. I'm basically a physical therapist, uh, strength and conditioning consultant, and uh, I, I, I teach people uh, restorative yoga as well. So I incorporate all those things uh, with my clients um, because I believe that um, having an understanding of rehab and, and uh, musculoskeletal pathology um, uh, and combining that with wellness and fitness and nutrition um, gives better results than just just uh, uh, treating pathology. So trying to make somebody optimal physiology, I think, helps all those things. So it helps an athlete. It helps somebody who's post-op. It helps somebody who's injured. Uh, it helps somebody who just wants to uh, uh, improve their their function and have better energy levels um, and not be tired all day. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. Um, so growing up, um, I was a soccer player. So most of my, uh, my physical training, uh, is, is, um, related to soccer, but I was always using multiple methods of training, uh, to help myself as a soccer player. So I've, you know, long distance running, plyometric training, weight training. I was doing everything I could to try to optimize my, my performance. Um, and, uh, now I help other people, uh, try to achieve their goals and get, get out of pain and, and, um, recover from surgeries, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk to you, you know, and jump right into it and dive into some of the topics that, um, 
you know, you're so passionate in talking about specifically sleep management, uh, nutrition, uh, the various types of diets that are out there, um, exercise, uh, within the business world, within the space of, um, you know, entrepreneurship, it's often talked about your morning rituals and starting the day early, uh, get out of bed, um, maybe journal, um, other people will say, get right into exercise and get your body moving right away. Why don't we start with sleep as a foundation and talk to us about why that's so critical for somebody to perform at their very best, um, you know, as they go through the day. Yeah. I usually, uh, tell everybody that sleep is the most important, uh, foundational layer of anything that you do, uh, mm -hmm. regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur, which is what the discussion is about right now. Um, whether you're an athlete, housewife, doesn't matter what you are, um, in order to function, because at the end of the day, an Olympic athlete has the same physiology as uh, somebody who works a nine to five job. You know, mm -hmm. what I mean? Physiology is physiology. So what it takes one person to be optimal is the same thing that it takes another person to be optimal. Um, it's just that the details are changed up a little, uh, quite a bit. So uh, regarding sleep, sleep is the time where we, we regenerate uh, all of our hormones in order to get ready for the next day. But not only our hormones, but um, a lot of times people overlook uh, uh, chemicals called neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are the, the chemicals that the nervous system uses um, in order to uh, uh, create muscle contraction. However, they're the same chemicals that also uh, help you think. So in this discussion uh, regarding entrepreneurs, the, the most important thing for an entrepreneur is to have optimal cognitive function. Yeah. So in order to have, because as an entrepreneur, you're depending on yourself for your livelihood. So you, when you wake up, you have to make sure all of your cylinders are firing at full throttle, right? Right. So in order for that to happen, neurotrans, your neurotransmitter pool, which is the, the group of chemicals, like I said, that helps you fire your, your neurons, which are the cells that make you think and, and also promote movement. Yeah. It's, it, they're the same chemicals that help you lift weights in the gym that help you think optimally. They're neurotransmitters. There are communication chemicals. So that pool is regenerated in only one way, sleep. You can't generate, regenerate neurotransmitters through, through a supplement or anything else. The only way you can regenerate neurotransmitters is sleep. So, um, so in terms of starting your day, starting your day actually starts the, starts the night before. So um, some, mm -hmm. of the, some of the main points that, I, that I, I'd like to share about sleep is Number one, it's not only the uh, quality, uh, sorry, it's not only the quantity of sleep that's important, which most people focus on, but it's right. also the quality and the timing of it. So, you know, um, based on research, we know that most adults need uh, between seven to nine hours of sleep. And that's different based on each individual. Um, uh, there was a study done uh, in the journal uh, Sleep Health uh, 2015. Um, uh, where they determined that adult, most adults need between seven to nine hours of sleep. And then, you know, teenagers need about eight to 10. And then basically the younger you are, the more sleep that you need going into uh, infancy, um, going backwards. Um, so now that we know that most, most adults need seven to nine, beyond that, there's more information that's crucial. It's not just the number of hours, but it's also the timing. So um, there's uh, something I like to call the 10 to 12 o'clock window which is the most crucial time to be completely asleep. So between 10 p.m. and 12 a.m. 
is the, the, the most high yield time to be completely knocked out, so to speak. Now, uh, during daylight savings time, which we're in now, yeah. we're, we're not in real biological time. So that window is actually 11 to 1. Okay. Because 11 to 1 right now is actually biologically 10 to 12. Okay. So, so um, what does that mean practically from a, a pragmatic standpoint? I recommend uh, for all of my clients and, or anybody that, that asks me advice on this, I, I, I advise everybody to get in bed and make sure their light's out by 9.30 at the latest. Okay. Um, and even during daylight savings time, because sometimes people say, well, you know, during daylight savings time, the 930 is actually 1030. I'm like, yeah, for sure. But I still recommend 930. The reason being, because there's another rule that every hour of sleep that you get before 12 AM is equal to two hours after 12 AM. Wow. Okay. So there's this golden time before 12 AM that you want to capitalize on. So if you could go to sleep, I'm just Theoretically, everybody more or less wired that way with yeah. your circadian rhythm. Yes. Okay. So that, yeah. that's across the board. This is, this okay. is across the board. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is not individual specific. What is individual specific is the number of hours that we need. That's, that's different for each individual. Okay. Um, so theoretically, you know, if you went to sleep at 8 PM, right? So it, between eight and 12, that's, that's equal to, uh, that's normally four hours. But if you multiply that times two, obviously, obviously that's eight. So that's, that's the return on investment that you're getting by maximizing your sleep time before 12. All right. So, so um, that's the number one thing on how to start your next day optimally. So your morning routine is actually being set up by your night routine. Now, some recommendations that I have on, on uh, helping people uh, achieve that is two to three hours before you go to bed, you should have a wind down routine because you can't just shut the lights off and go to bed. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, especially entrepreneurs, they have so much on their mind. I have to do this. I got to do that. I got to call this person. I got to text this person, email that one. You know what I mean? So you need a two to three hour buffer depending on the individual and depend, depending on what's pragmatic for your lifestyle to wind down. So yeah. literally that means dimming the lights, decreasing the tone of your voice, um, decreasing the speed at which you're moving. All of this has an effect on, yeah. on what we call down regulation of the central nervous system, which essentially I, I like to use the analogy of using a volume knob to turn down the volume on your nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the, the more you do that by stretching before you go to bed, doing yoga, um, whatever form of meditative practice a person may have, um, that's going to help you get deeper into sleep. Other things that help are um, making sure that you, you, you do uh, what I call a mind dump before you go to bed. So anything that's on your mind that you have to address tomorrow, I, write it down now. I was actually just going to bring that up, that a brain dump and putting that on your paper. Now, the problem with that, for me specifically, everybody's, you know, it's individual specific. Once I put it on a piece of paper, I'm excited to attack it like the next day. So I'm, I'm yeah. immediately thinking about it. It's almost like you can't win. Uh, in that scenario, for me to fall into a deep sleep quicker, I just have to thoroughly exhaust myself, yeah. right? Like through the day. Um, what would you suggest for somebody that, you know, uh, is somebody, you know, you're constantly seeing spreadsheets. Uh, you're constantly thinking about, hey, that client email that I got to get to or that text message that I have to send. How do you, you know, bring that down to and power down to a minimum so that you can actually fall asleep a lot faster when your head hits the pillow. So what you have to do 
is once you end that whole marathon, yeah, you need you need to put a period at the end of that. Yeah, you have to do something physically exhausting, like you okay. mentioned. As you mentioned, you've experienced yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to. Every individual, in order to sleep optimally, has to have a therapeutic exhaustion that's gonna mm-hmm. that's gonna you know therapeutically knock them out, so to speak. You know, not to the point where you're, you know, you're killing yourself, but it has to be therapeutically exhausting. So to answer your question, ideally, it's good to, at the end of all that, do something physically exhausting, whether, and that's different for everybody, whether that means martial arts, whether that means going to the gym, going for a long distance run, whatever, whatever you enjoy and whatever, whatever you're used to and what's a part of your lifestyle, you should do that at the end of that hamster wheel. Is that for the purpose of just falling asleep? Or is that your, cause you know, th- then there's the difference between working out in the morning, which, you know, there's a lot of, there's a whole school of thought that says that's better to do to work out in the morning yeah. uh, versus working out at night. Uh, so is this specifically for the purpose of exhausting yourself to go to sleep or is this your main workout? Yeah. So part of that comes back to pragmatism because not everybody can work out twice a day, for example, right? Right. So not everybody can do a morning regular workout that's like part of their their regular routine and the goals they're working towards or whatever, and then do another thing at night. Right. That's not always practical. So usually what I recommend as a baseline for most people is if you normally work out in the morning, do your morning workout because that's going to create like a cascade of events throughout the day to yeah. gradually fatigue you. Yeah. You, you may have experienced, and I've experienced, that if, yeah. if, if, we were, if I work out in the morning, if I work out in the beginning of the day, eventually when the time comes for sleep, I do start to get tired by that time. Yeah. And if I don't work out in the morning, um, I find it more difficult to get to sleep. So even if you work out in the morning, ultimately that will still help you wind down at night. Right. Now, okay. now for the individual who has a lot of difficulty, everybody's unique, right? So some people, their nervous system is just really ramped up. For that individual, it may be beneficial to do like a, a second, not really like a workout, but just kind of like a physical exhaustion um, interruption for like 15 minutes. Like for example, just for 15 minutes, just go for a jog or 15 minutes, just do kettlebell swings straight through, you know, or do a, a circuit of kettlebell swings, mm-hmm. uh, push-ups, jumping squats, whatever, not for the purpose of like, you know, achieving goals or anything, but just literally to exhaust you, not only physically, but mentally to get your brain out of like that, that repeated loop of thinking about all those variables you mentioned. Right. Okay. So while we're on that, I mean, if you do that, you tend to like heat up a little bit, your heart's still beating fast. So you're not gonna be able to sleep right after that. So during that wind down period, what are we talking about? This is earlier in that wind down period so that you can... So that okay. would be, yeah. So, okay. So, so first of all, not everybody needs to do this. This is just for somebody who, like you mentioned, they find that at the end of their, 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 their day, they're mm-hmm. so wired that they can't, yeah. they can't get exhausted. Okay. So we're creating an artificial exhaustion as like your second mini workout, so to speak. But at, after that, you should, you should do whatever variation of stretching or, um, restorative yoga or yin yoga where you're basically going into stretches and sitting there for a long time to calm down the nervous system so the purpose of that exhaustive period for 15 20 minutes would be to expend your energy uh, physically but also mentally snapping you out of it so your thoughts are 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 being shifted so that's the other benefit of, of physically exhausting yourself is that your brain has to 
get away from thinking about that stuff. But to answer your question, yes, it's at the beginning of that wind down period because then you need to start transitioning into stretching and yoga type stuff to start decreasing your heart rate, calming down your central nervous system, relaxing your muscles. You can, you can use, you can do foam rolling, stretching, uh, like traditional stretching, yin yoga, restorative yoga, if, if a person is familiar with that stuff, but they should be sustained techniques um, where you're just sitting there in, in stretch positions or release positions for a prolonged duration. That's what calms the nervous system down. Okay. Is there a specific room temperature? Um, obviously, it's easier to go to sleep when it's a little bit yeah. cooler in the room. Uh, what do you suggest for that? Yeah. Well, based on the research, the research shows 67, roughly around 67, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So generally you want it to be cool. But you got to get buy-in from everybody on that. Yeah. Because that's hard. Right. Okay. If you're not living alone, you have to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I, I don't think people need to really obsess about it too much. Okay. I think the easiest way to, the easiest way to follow this is it should just generally feel a little bit cool. Okay. All right. You know, um, yeah. but if you're, looking, if you're looking for objective numbers, then based on the research, it's about 67 degrees for optimal sleep time. Okay, got it. And so you're saying about 9.30, lights out, uh, but start winding down maybe two, three hours before that. So have some sort of a routine set up. And then you have to get buy-in from everybody in the household, obviously, in order for that yeah. to happen, right? Sure, sure. Or, because um, you also have to look at what's practical. So if you yeah. have a family, if you have a family and, and not everybody's going to be okay with winding down and decreasing, dimming the lights and stuff, maybe you could do it yourself, Right. you know? Okay. Um, and maybe, maybe in that situation where, where, where you don't want to create this big event, you know, or it's not practical in your family, um, maybe you don't need to make it two and a half, uh, you know, two and a half to three hours before, just do it one hour before and go off by yourself. Yeah. And I, I think you made such a good point earlier about the quantity of sleep, because I've noticed that if I go to sleep at midnight and let's say, you know, middle of the night, wake up for Fajr and then go back to sleep after prayer. Um, that eight hours of like, say 12 to seven 30 or 12 to eight is not equivalent to a nine 30 to, you know, so if you just shifted it a little bit earlier and went to sleep, it's like night and day as far as your, you know, the, the energy that you feel when you get up. No question. Yeah. If anybody has any doubt, do an experiment, you know, take three or four days and compare yeah. sleeping from 12 to eight, uh, versus like nine to five, for example, you know? Right. right. And then if you are you know, um, low on energy during the day, uh, do you recommend naps? And is there a, uh, the right amount of time that you should have a nap? Um, is, is a certain amount of time too much and you get groggy? Uh, what I've usually heard is that, you know, the 26 minute nap, and I, I don't know if, you know, uh, you tell me the, uh, the validity of this, but drinking coffee, black coffee, going to sleep immediately after, the, the caffeine effects of that coffee starts to kick in at about 20, 21 minutes. And so when you wake up at 26 minutes after a 26 minute nap, you're like wide awake, right? Uh, what do you think about that? And what do you think about generally about naps and, and catching a nap? We know the prophet, peace be upon him, used to take a nap after the afternoon prayer, um, you know, kind of recharge himself. But I felt personally in my life that if I, I'm lucky that my office is only two minutes from my house, that I can go, go, go home, catch a quick nap, come back, and I feel recharged for the rest of the entire day. So what's your thoughts on naps? Should you take them or should you try to avoid them to create that sort of exhaustion so that you could get that better sleep at night? Yeah, that's a really good question. So 
Um, I actually am a supporter of NAPS. Um, however, you, what happens is, if, uh, based on research and also anecdotal experience with myself and, and people I work with, um, most of the information seems to indicate that if you sleep, if you take a nap like significantly longer than 30 minutes, then yeah. you're going to get into a deeper sleep. And then when you wake up, you're going to feel groggy as you've experienced yourself and I've experienced. Um, so the research actually shows, and once again, I've uh, experienced this on myself and tried this with people that I work with, um, that if you, the research shows that even if you don't fall asleep and you just lay horizontal for 15 to 30 minutes, even that is rejuvenative. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because just with your but, eyes closed. Even if, yeah, even if you, and even if you don't keep your eyes closed, okay. but okay. yeah, so, so what we're talking about is just not being asleep, whether your eyes are open or closed, optimally, it's nice to have them closed, even if you're not asleep though, just cause it shuts out the light, shuts out light. Yeah. Um, but what it does by being horizontal for 15 to 30 minutes, it decreases the pressure on your adrenal glands, um, all of your, your endocrine glands, your nervous system, which have to. Uh, release everything in a pulsatile manner against gravity because you're upright. Okay. So, so the theory is that when you go horizontal, all the glands and your nervous system structures that have to work so hard, they are, are decompressed essentially. Okay. So, so ideally it's optimal in my opinion to take a nap where you actually do fall asleep for about 30 minutes. Um, however, if you can't, like if you're at work and you know that if I fall asleep, I'm not going to wake up or, you know, I'm going to get into a deep sleep then just lay down. Like I said, research shows that even for 15 minutes, if you lay down horizontal, even that's rejuvenative. But ideally, lay down for 30 minutes, even if you're not going to fall asleep. Now, regarding the caffeine thing, I'll tell you my opinion about the caffeine situation. Um, I personally am not a supporter of caffeine use. Um, yeah, the reason, the reason being, so my opinion on caffeine is that it should only be used in certain situations intermittently uh if you're having a difficult day and you 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 absolutely need need something to push you a little bit but i don't believe it should be used regularly um the reason being is that the the three systems that caffeine uh uh has has a function on are the cardiovascular system the nervous system and the endocrine system now the problem here is that of those three systems the the central nervous system is the, the one system that habituates to caffeine. So the more caffeine you have, it's just like alcohol. The more you have, the more you need in order to get the effect. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, somebody who starts to have one cup of We're coffee- Diminishing returns after a certain yeah. amount. Okay. So, you know, as we, all, as we all know, we all know the person who started off with one cup of coffee, you know, a light cup of coffee, eventually, you know, goes like three cups a day dark, right? Because they're not getting the same effect. And this is because of the trait of the central nervous system uh, 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 referred to as habituation. Now, here's the problem. Over the time, as the years pass, your central, nervous is, your central nervous system is going to keep habituating. However, your, your, your cardiac system and your endocrine system can't habituate. So what you're doing is you have one system that's habituating and it's adapting, adapting, and wanting more and more, but your heart can't adapt mm. so what are we doing when we're having caffeine what is it doing to the heart it's increasing your heart rate, heart rate yeah. so yeah so what you're doing over time is you're making your sa node in your heart work harder to signal beats your cardiac tissue is working harder to beat faster 
uh, more times per unit of time. Okay. So you're, you're putting more load on your heart over a lifespan. And in addition, your endocrine system, the system which consists of our glands that, that release hormones in a pulsatile manner, they're also being pushed to secrete more hormones. So the, the analogy I like to use with the, the abuse on the endocrine system, is basically, you know, you're taking an, an orange full of pulp and you're, you're just squeezing that, that pulp out uh, in a forced manner, as opposed to gently squeezing it in a pulsatile manner, which was normally going to occur without the caffeine. So, okay. so this is not going to harm somebody in a couple of years, but five years, 10 years, if you keep doing this over time, theoretically, you could, you know, start stressing your heart out and you can also start becoming deficient um, in some of your hormones like thyroid hormone, testosterone, etc. So I, because of this, I'm not a supporter of daily caffeine use. Um, I, I like to recommend, you know, if somebody wants to use caffeine, have it socially or if they want to have it intermittently once in a while, but it really shouldn't be something that's regular. I really think it's detrimental. Got it. So is there something, a drink, um, a food perhaps that, you know, some people just need that little boost, right? I, I can tell you for myself, and I've done this uh, on the days when I'm extremely lethargic, right? And I'm thinking to myself, does caffeine actually work? Does it not work? Is it just hype? And I remember once, once distinctively, I didn't used to drink coffee, uh, black coffee specifically, Drank it. I remember I was going down 295 South in New Jersey and it was 927 AM and like my pupils dilated. And, you know, it's like, I'm like record this time in history because at this moment I'm testifying to myself that caffeine absolutely works. Right. And so I guess it doesn't negate your point. Use it when you need it, but don't overdo it and do it all the time. Right. Let's talk about, um, Murad, the, the ideal morning ritual that people should have. So they've gotten that optimal amount of sleep. Uh, they wake up. So, so let's say they actually did knock out around 9.30. They got a good eight hours. So they're up at 5.30. What should they be doing to set themselves up for a really good productive day for the rest of the day? Sure. Um, so me personally, this is what I found to be beneficial for myself and people that I work with. So I'll just share that with you. Yeah. Um, so, so upon waking, um, I think hydration is crucial because when, when we go to sleep, we're in a dehydrated state and also your fascia, which is the, uh, it's like a webbing. It's a thin, like saran wrap around your, uh, muscular your tissue, mus muscular tissue and your organs and around your brain and around everything. But not only does it surround your tissues, but it also is a webbing that goes through and right. then it keeps going through until it anchors onto your bones. Um, it keeps like everything clung. Yes, exactly. It's literally a matrix and it keeps everything clung together. So um, that fascia also starts to um, dehydrate and it starts to constrict. And okay. fascia, fascia has the potential to generate up to 2,000 pounds of compressive force. So you're getting dehydrated plus your fascia starting to get constricted. Um, it's like a straight jacket squeezing you. Like the Venom um, so suit. Yes, exactly. I like, yeah, I like to, yeah, I, I always tell people, you know, this is like your Spider-Man suit, yeah. but it got, it got a couple sizes too small while you're right, sleeping. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, when people wake up, I like to recommend hydrating first thing in the morning. Okay. Um, ideally it's good if they can also add some type of 
uh, alkalinizing agent. Like, yeah, I've uh, got my meathead uh, gallon of water here. Yeah, <laughs> Is there a certain amount that you recommend? Yeah, for adults, about a liter. Um, per day, uh, okay. No, no, just upon waking. Upon waking up, okay. But how yeah. about throughout the day? Yeah, so throughout the day, I kind of used to do, I used to do when I was in college and when I was uh, an athlete, like I used to do what you're, what you're doing. Um, but my opinion currently has changed. Um, regarding hydration. So my current opinion regarding hydration is just drink when you're thirsty because um, I kind of agree with what they say in Chinese medicine. Yeah. Uh, they, they believe that thirst is a significant enough of an indicator um, and you don't need to drink more than that. However, the two um, exceptions to that I feel are number one when you wake up in the morning. So I think for an adult, it's good to have a liter um, okay. with an alkalinizing agent such as like a greens powder or lemon squeezed in there, or apple cider vinegar. Um, Anything about for, temperature? Warm, lukewarm, cold? Yeah, yeah. Ideally, you know, the the um, Eastern forms of medicine they say, and I, and I I kind of uh, like to follow this. They believe that it's good to drink it warm because it okay. matches your internal environment more. Okay. You know, like if you're drinking like ice cold water in the morning, um, it, it's supposed to inhibit function of your digestive system because your digestive system is not freezing cold you know um so so regarding uh uh the, the water intake generally for most people i think that thirst should be used as an indicator except for in the morning and mm. except for people who are athletes particularly endurance athletes now if you're an endurance athlete uh, you're a runner um you do some type of uh, sport or martial art that's very endurance specific um then I think you need to drink water preemptively because if you just rely on thirst, you're going to be behind uh, in terms of hydration. It could be detrimental because in, in those cases, hydration also influence the, uh, the potential for tissues to tear, ligaments to tear because the hydration also affects the, uh, the dryness of like your ACL and your other ligaments and that can cause rupture more easily. So generally, in a nutshell, rely on thirst unless you're an athlete that's that has an endurance based sport okay or 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 if you're somebody who's in, uh you're you're somebody who's lift, who lifts weights and they're trying to achieve hypertrophy then then you should drink more but even then i don't think you should go overboard because if you go overboard you're going to dilute your electrolytes which is going to be detrimental for everybody um so the argument could be made even somebody who's lifting or working on hypertrophy for example if you dilute your electrolytes, that's going to be con con contradicting your, your goal. Because you don't want to... Can you, you add wanna... like Himalayan salt to the water um, so that doesn't happen? Where you're diluting yeah. and ridding yourself of your electrolytes? Yeah, it could mitigate it, except if the water amount is so overwhelming, it'll still flush out your internal reserve. Okay. But, yeah, and then there, from a health standpoint, there are other detriments to being overhydrated. Okay. So we have a fluid, we have a fluid called cerebrospinal fluid, CSF. Right. So it's the fluid that surrounds your brain. Um, it's basically like the cushioning around your brain so that if we didn't have that, our brain would be smacking into right. our skull repeatedly. Yeah. Right. Even if we just move our head side to side gently. Um, so what happens is if you're overhydrated, um, you can increase the cerebrospinal fluid volume excessively and that can create counter pressure on your brain. Now, this talk being about optimization of, of uh, function for entrepreneurs, what did we say was the most important thing for an entrepreneur? Optimal cognitive function. Yeah. So if your CSF volume gets too high 
and it's pushing down against your brain, you're going to feel a brain fog. So um, this is another thing, you know, if a person is overhydrated, one of the things that you'll feel is your thinking slows down. So when you're an entrepreneur, you need to be constantly assessing cognitive function. If you feel your cognitive function is slowing down, you, there are reasons why that could be happening and you need to address that. Okay. So, okay. Interesting. Let's, let's talk a little bit about um, nutrition and, and then we'll get into diets as well. So yeah. what do you recommend as far as um, the frequency of eating and, um, and when people do eat, you know, should it be, should they skip breakfast, intermittent fasting? I mean, there's so many uh, modes of eating now in terms of frequency, but then also what should you be eating? What type of foods uh, should you be eating? And do you personally advocate for any specific sort of a diet, be it plant-based, uh, counting macros, keto, um, and so on and so forth? Sure. So because again, we're talking about entrepreneurship, we're, we need to optimize cognitive function, right? right. So for, for optimal cognitive function, um, the research shows, and I've also experienced this myself and with people I work with, that the, having a ketogenic diet is the most optimal uh, environment to create uh, optimal cognitive function. So um, minimizing carbohydrate intake uh, makes the brain work more sharply. Um, now, so I'll basically touch upon some of the bullet points that I would recommend for entrepreneurs. Um, so in order to increase, in, improve cognitive function, number one, you, can't, you don't want to ever eat until you're full. So right. whenever, you, whenever you eat a meal, you should leave a little bit of your stomach empty because when you expand your stomach completely, what you're doing is you're, we only have so much amount, we, have, we only have so much blood in the body. Yeah, right? the one third rule. Yeah, and there's there's a huge wisdom behind that. Now we only have we only have so much blood in the body. The amount of blood in your body, my body, is finite at a particular time, right? So when we fill our stomach with food, a lot of our blood has to go into our digestive system to digest that. But what that does, uh, in terms of functioning as a as a uh, as an entrepreneur, is it takes blood away from your brain. So if you want optimal optimal cognitive function. You need to make sure that you're just eating enough to function, but not so much that the blood is being pulled away from your brain into your digestive system. Okay. And this is the same reason why you don't eat a huge meal right before you're going to go run five miles because of the blood shunting effect. So you need to think about what system of my body am I using right now prim primarily and how can I maximize the amount of blood to that area? Because blood is what carries oxygen and nutrition, right? So number one, your meals should never be to the point where you're, you're, you're completely full. You know, you should eat to satiation. Okay. But as an entrepreneur, you need to eat for function. You need to just eat till you're satisfied and then stop there. Okay. Okay. Now in terms of the number of meals, um, I don't personally believe that that's such a huge factor. I think that the number of meals is overblown these days, um, for various reasons. And there are specific populations and specific cases where meal frequency and, and um, the number of meals matters. But for an entrepreneur, I think two to three meals is optimal. Okay. Um, sometimes two meals is op more optimal than three for an entrepreneur because you don't have to interrupt the middle of your day. You know what right. I mean? Right. You have a breakfast and then just push through the day 
and then have a meal at the end. Now, we're not talking about what's optimal to build muscle and all that kind of stuff. Right now, we're just talking about a businessman who's an entrepreneur. But he wants to optimize his day and optimize his brain function. So two to three meals, I would recommend. Um, the other factor that I would take into account, now you mentioned the issue of skipping breakfast. Um, I don't think that a person, I'm not a fan of skipping breakfast regularly. So okay. some people talk, yeah, like some people talk about not having breakfast and waiting until, you know, like one or two to eat your first meal. I personally am not a big fan of that on a regular basis um, because I believe it interferes with cognitive function. Um, but I do believe that you should fast a couple of times a week to improve, co improve cognitive function overall okay. um, as, a, as a mega trend. As a cumulative, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that if you fast like two to three times a week as a mega trend on the, on the, on the whole, your cognitive function will be more optimal than somebody who's eating all the time. Because if you're eating every single day, nonstop, your, your, brain, your digestive system never gets a break. Right. And you want to give your digestive system a break. Not only that, but you want to promote autophagy, which I'm sure you've heard of is where your body has an opportunity to detoxify the uh, junk, uh, the junk cells and the junk toxins that, yeah. that, that accumulate around your brain. So um, research shows that if you fast in, uh, uh, for a few times a week, you actually give the body a chance to uh, destroy the toxins that accumulate around your brain. And what's that going to do to cognitive function? It's obviously going to improve that. Now, the other thing to pay attention to for cognitive function is uh, excess carbohydrate intake. So when you eat too many carbohydrates and what's too many carbohydrates, it's dependent on the individual. Now, if you eat, if you eat too many carbohydrates and, you, and you're pushing insulin from your pancreas into your bloodstream all the time, that's going to create brain fog. So, you know, a lot of people talk about that two to three o'clock lull that they experience when they start to get sleepy. That's because they're eating too many carbohydrates and or they didn't get enough sleep. So there should be, if you're getting enough sleep and you're eating optimally, there should be no need for an energy drink or some type of drink to get you, to make you feel up. So then what, what does eating optimally look like in the morning? What do you, what should you have for breakfast yeah. if you're setting up your ideal day? Yeah. So again, all of this, we're not taking into account any physical goals. We're just talking about entrepreneurship and cognitive function. So, yeah, but let, let's also, let's, let's try to actually see if we can merge that as well. Sure. Um, okay. So, it, you know, somebody that is aspiring to look their best or whatever, and, and they go sure. to the gym regularly um, and, and they want to have uh, increased cognitive function what sure. are the right type of foods that they should be eating? Okay. So if we're merging that, um, what I recommend for, for anyone uh, to, to improve cognitive function is don't have any carbs during breakfast. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you may, have, you're, you may be familiar with this term. It's called uh, nutrient programming. So mm -hmm. um, there's some evidence that shows that the, the macronutrients that you have in your first meal, those are the macronutrients that your body is going to preferentially pull from throughout the day in order to uh, uh, use, use as fuel for energy. So whether you're, uh, even if you're somebody who's an endurance athlete, somebody who's working towards hypertrophy, working on strength goals, I think that it's good for everybody not to have carbs at breakfast um, unless the only time that I, that I believe it's okay is if you're an endurance athlete who's going to be doing endurance type stuff around the morning. Um, if you're somebody who's working on hypertrophy and also an entrepreneur, 
and you really need to get a certain amount of carbs in for your day to meet your macronutrient requirement. Um, but generally speaking, outside of the endurance athlete and the hypertrophy-based uh, goal person, um, and even for a hypertrophy-based person, um, you could probably be okay not having any carbs in the morning it's to optimize cognitive function. Okay. I'm telling you, this is, this is probably one of the most amazing things that I've ever uh, experienced myself in order to improve cognitive function at work is, is not having carbs at breakfast. So just proteins, fats, and greens, essentially. Okay. So what does, like for you, when you wake up, uh, what does your plate look like in the morning? What are you having on there? I, I usually don't like to talk about, about myself. Because <laughs> what, what I'm doing is also changing all the time too, because whenever I'm learning stuff, it's changing. Yeah. So what, you, what I say right now may not be what I'm doing like six months from now. Okay. Um, but, but currently what, what I, what I like do- and Eggs, nuts, yeah. uh, things that are possibly higher, higher in fat, avocado- and yeah. so on okay so currently for me right now basically basically it's very simple it's not complicated for me at all it's just eggs avocado um kale or spinach some type of green okay it's usually spinach uh but sometimes kale um and then maybe some nuts and eggs with or without the yolk or does it always matter? always with the yolk okay and does yeah. it matter how many that's that's dependent on the individual and I can give you general guidelines, but that's dependent on the individual. Yeah. So well, we're on me, the topic, you know, in terms of uh, counting your macros. Yeah. Um, one gram of protein to every pound that you weigh. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, and is that necessary for muscle synthesis and putting on lean muscle? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, okay. The one, one gram per pound is, uh, I believe, to be totally overblown. Um, okay. Once again, what I'm saying right now, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just telling you, my, I can only share with you my experience. Um, I got into uh, bodybuilding and weight training when I was 12 years old. And, you know, even when I was a young teenager, I, like my, my, uh, my friends on the football team were coming to me to design programs for them. So I've been involved in this since I was pretty much a kid. Okay, yeah. um, so, but, but remember, this is all going to be from my experience, you know, uh, it, through my upbringing and then also my experience as a professional uh, working with my patients and clients. But based on all of that, I don't believe that you need to have one gram per pound. Um, uh, I think that I really believe that the amount of protein that we need, even for muscle protein synthesis, is far less than what, um, what social media and, and the internet you know, bloggers you know, talk about. So is so, that just to sell protein powders then? They set up that know. entire framework in order to... Well, yeah, I mean, an argument could be made for that because... If you tell somebody that you have to have one gram per pound of protein, it's so impossible now, to do with real food. Like yeah. you have to have supplementation of some sort to be able Correct. to. Yeah. Correct. Now, now if you're, if you're a supplement company and one scoop of protein has uh, 25 grams or, or, or usually it's like 25 grams yeah, per 25, scoop. 30, yep. Yeah. 25 to 30, depending on the brand. That's a, that seems like a really brilliant uh, scheme to, put objective numbers to match and have somebody try to follow that. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, but, but on, by the same token, I do still think there's benefit to protein powders in certain cases. So I'm not like knocking the supplement industry because yeah. uh, uh, it's not, I don't think it's a black or white thing, yeah. but, but well, I just it should be coming from real food. Generally speaking. So through all these years, I really believe that you should try to get everything you can from real food. 
Um, I think that supplements should only be used in certain circumstances. And even in the, per in the, in the case of somebody who's trying to work towards hypertrophy, I really think you should really be trying to get it through real food. And I really think you can. Okay. The problem is that the problem comes in, and this is the research also supports this. Research shows that the one variable that is the biggest indicator of compliance for weight loss mm -hmm. uh, or and diets in general, but these studies were working at, looking at weight loss. You know what it was? The one variable, it was food preparation. So mm -hmm. that's where I, I think people fall short. People don't prepare their food for the week. So then that's when you go to the protein powder because it's easy. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're not going to meet your protein intake needs for that day. What are you going to go cook a steak? You're going to, yeah, you're going to, I, I think like, you know, for the last 18 to 24 months, um, eating the same stuff every day that has a nutrition label to it, so much easier to quantify, you know, you can put it in my fitness pal and yeah. it's boring. You know, you don't have a lot of variety, but you know, if you're staying in a hypocaloric mode, you know exactly what, you know, how much fats, how much, uh, carbs, how much, uh, proteins you're intaking throughout the day. It yeah. ends up being pretty dull and boring. But to your point, I think, yeah, meal prepping and knowing the portions that you're eating on a daily basis is the way to hit it. Here's the thing. The other thing is the, the bioavailability of the protein. Let's not just talk about, not just talk about proteins, but nu uh, uh, nutrients in general, right? Yeah. The bioavailability and the way it's absorbed is far superior when you're eating real food to when you're having it through supplements. It's totally okay. different because when you're, when you're eating protein or any other uh, uh, macro or micronutrient through food, you have all these coenzymes and all these cofactors that we don't even know about right now. There's things in, in, in like an apple that we don't even know right now. Do you know what I mean? Right. So there's stuff that's, there's a lot of magic happening that we don't even have, we don't even have names for some of these things yet that, that facilitate the absorption and give you all these benefits. When you're eating a real steak, that you can't compare that to a protein powder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now the thing about what you were mentioning about the measurement stuff, I, it takes a little bit of legwork, but once you put in the legwork and you automate it, you know, it, once you do the research, if a person's counting their macros and you, and you do all your food prep and, and, and count how much steak or fish or chicken and all that stuff you need, uh, your potatoes, rice, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And you calculate all that and you create a system to take four hours, me personally, I found it takes, it takes me four hours to do food well, prep. So now, I mean, now you're talking our lingo because automation yeah. systems, you have to you know, like Zuckerberg wears the same black t-shirt every single day. There's yeah. nothing to think about. There's no like human element to it. You just right. do the same thing every single day. Right. Listen, so. listen, if you're, if you're an, okay, if you're an entrepreneur and on top of that, you're somebody who is working towards physicals. You can't leave you can't leave things to chance, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Because you, how can you be successful in your business or achieve your physique goals when you're doing them together, especially? Right. So you can't be somebody who leaves things to chance. This is not a principle that is going to lead to success. So you have to have, like like I was saying, for me, for example, years ago, I I literally timed how long it takes me to prepare my meals for the week, including. Uh, washing those dishes, all that stuff, setting mm -hmm. up, putting it away. And I found it takes four hours for me, you know? Okay. So every individual- so, you get, needs, so you'll stop everything, like on a Sunday, you'll put everything together to carry correct. you through the week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, so that for, I found that I literally had to block that time off because otherwise it was going to be left to chance. Right. So, so you have to 
for me, it's four hours. For somebody else, it could be five or six or three or whatever, depending on your life. Um, but you need to figure out for your life, how long does it take you to automate that? Or if you have a significant other or, or somebody to help you, you need to figure out a system. The key is systems. As an entrepreneur, yeah. you have to have systems. Yeah. You, have to have, you have to have systems for how you're preparing your clothes for the week, you know, your morning routine, as you mentioned, your, your system for um, how you wind down at night, for your protocol for when you get to work, for the things you have to do at work. Check, when are you checking your emails? It can't be on the fly. You have to have a, 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 a protocol. When do I check emails? When do I do this? When do I do that? So if on top of that, you want to build muscle, you want to get stronger, you want to lose weight, whatever your goal is, yeah. you have to be even more structured. You have to, right. be, you have to, be, you have to be over-prepared. You can't, sure. be, you can't just be you know, surviving. You got to be ahead of the game. You For know sure. what I mean? So, I, I agree 100%. Um, and, 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 the, and the most important thing is food prep, regardless of your goal. Even if you don't have any goals, let's say you don't have any goals, but you're an entrepreneur, food prep, I would say is still beneficial just because you don't have to then like scramble, scramble for food and make bad choices during the week mm. and take time away from your day to go to the restaurant. So you mentioned, you know, keto probably for optimal cognitive function. Um, and, and that's great. But you know, as far as you know, keto involves meats, uh, potentially, I, I, know, I know a lot of people get it wrong. They start going and frying all sorts of stuff, turkey, bacon, and things like that. Um, and then they overdo it with the fats and the oils um, to the point where they start to actually gain weight, which, you know, is probably not the, the goal there. But, you know, in terms of the meats, white meat, red meat, does it matter? Um, and, and portion control, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So I'll, I'll speak to it at a couple of different levels. So Okay. Number one, number one, I'm going to talk about somebody who doesn't have any physical goals. So just the entrepreneur who's not interested in physical goals. So first I'll talk about that. For that individual, I would recommend to eat meats that digest quickly and efficiently. So on a continuum, fish digests faster than chicken and then chicken digests faster than red meat. Okay. Didn't you can that. even feel, yeah, no, no. You can even feel that if you, when you, when you try to rip apart those meats, Right, yeah. it's it's easier to pull apart tilapia. Yeah, fish is really flaky, and yeah, yeah. And Lighter. then even even within fish, like if you take cod or flounder, that just crumbles in your hands. It basically just disintegrates. Right, right. And then if you try to break apart salmon, it's a little thicker. So, right. so uh, fish, and then within fish, there's a continuum. Then okay. chicken, and then red meat. So somebody who just wants to optimize cognitive function as an entrepreneur, they should eat the meats that that digest more easily and that don't have to have uh, a lot of enzymatic activity from your digestive system to break them down. Because once again, we don't want to pull too much blood away from the brain. Right. Okay. okay? Now, even for that person, I would recommend not leaving out red meat because I think it's beneficial to have it intermittently a couple of times a week, even for that individual. Okay. Now for somebody who is an entrepreneur, but they're also an athlete, they're a strength trainer, they're trying to work on hypertrophy, whatever they're trying to do. For that individual, some people may not agree with me, but once again, I'm just sharing with you my opinion and my experience, what I found to be effective. Yeah. I'm, a big supporter, I'm a big supporter of red meat. Okay. Um, yeah, for athletes and for people who, are, who have performance goals and, and, and uh, particularly strength and hypertrophy goals. Um, I believe that the, the nutrients that you get from red meat, you can't match them with chicken or fish. Um, okay. So... Um, and while you know, we're on that grass-fed versus not 
Yeah, I personally believe you should try to get grass-fed. Okay. But if you, if you don't have the situation due to finances or geography or whatever, then don't stress about it. Don't get grass-fed if you can't. But I believe you should try to if you can. But don't stress if you can't. And is there a link there with testosterone production and, you know, hormonal balance as well with red meat? Yes. You know, okay. uh, red meat has been known to increase testosterone far more than other forms of meat. Testosterone, I'm sorry, red meat also has creatine. It's got iron. Right. Um, so red meat is the most, uh, you know, potent high yield form of meat. Um, well, good but again, mistakes. yeah, I'm mm -hmm. a big supporter, you know, and then, and then to improve the digestibility, you can, you can have them ground up from your butcher, you know, get, get ground steak. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. That improves digestion. Great tips. Um, how about, uh, vitamin supplementation, uh, especially, you know, from a standpoint of, a business owner who may or may not have all the systems set up, you know, their physical presence is required to run their business. So taking a day off or being sick is going to be potentially detrimental to revenues. Um, how can you go about fortifying your immune system um, and then your overall health with uh, vitamin supplementation? First of all, do you believe in vitamin supplementation? And then secondly, what are, what, what are the ones that you would recommend? So generally speaking, overall, I'm kind of like anti depending on supplementation. Uh, I'm not really a supporter of depending on it too much. Um, okay. So that's the gen my general philosophy. Um, I per you know, it's a combination of things. I personally just don't like to be dependent on products or, or things that other pr people are producing okay. in order for, for me to have to buy and function normally. Yeah. Um, I like to be able to derive them from food and be creative in that regard more and, and put a lot of effort towards that. Um, uh, however, that being said, I do believe that there are certain supplements that the majority of the population is deficient in. And those supplements I do believe people should take. So one of them being vitamin D, um, okay. majority of population is deficient in vitamin D and vitamin D is essential in terms of immune function, optimal brain function. Um, vitamin D is not just, uh, something that, helps you build strong bones. And, and it, it's not only something that Im improves immune system, but it also helps improve brain function. There's research studies that have been done in the uh, countries in the Northern latitudes uh, that showed that people in England, for example, uh, went into severe states of schizophrenia um, as, a, as a result of vitamin D deficiency. Wow. So, so we're talking something that's very important for, for brain function. Um, so, Vitamin D is number one. I also believe that people should supplement with magnesium um, at bedtime because most people are deficient. Magnesium is, some, magnesium is something like vitamin D. It's kind of an epidemic right now in terms of its deficiency. Um, real quick, a point about vitamin D. You know, a lot of research is showing that the, the vitamin D that we can absorb through the sun, although that's good, for a lot of people, especially people that have darker skin, they can't pull that amount of vitamin D from the sun. Um, so I believe I'm a strong believer in vitamin D supplementation, although you don't want to go over normal levels. So you should check with your doctor to make sure you're, you're we, with vitamin D, you want to be at the high end of normal. You don't want to be in the mid range of, of what's given by your, by your lab tests. Um, and then magnesium is something that I believe everyone should supplement with at bedtime okay. because magnesium is a natural central nervous system relaxer. 
okay? It helps replenish your neurotransmitter pool because it helps your nervous system relax at night so that, so that neurotransmitters can be regenerated. Um, and, and Dr. Furth, as you mentioned and rattle off some of these vitamin supplements, can you also talk about the, um, the right amount in terms of milligrams or whatever the international units are for them? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, before I do that, I'm just going to say I'm not a medical doctor. So I'm, okay. a, I have a do- I'm a doctor of physical therapy, so I'm not officially licensed to prescribe dosages. However, I'll tell you what I've found to be beneficial for me okay. and, and what I've known to be good in the medical community with my clients. Um, so for vitamin D, um, a lot of research is showing that even for people that have normal levels, you should be getting between four to 7,000, according to some sources, international units. So four to 7,000 IUs per day, per day. Okay. Yeah. Four to seven per day. Now uh, there's some other things that that are important to note with vitamin D supplementation is that the research is showing that it's better to have vitamin D daily as opposed to mega dosing it once a week. Like some people take like 20,000 IUs in one capsule for the uh, once a week. And that's shown to be, um, that's shown not to be as effective as microdosing throughout the week um, with the four to 7,000 IUs per day. The other thing is that in some people, it's been found that if people have vitamin D before they go to bed, it's difficult to fall asleep. The mechanism by which we don't, there's no known mechanism. We don't know the, why that's happening, but some people are finding that it's hard to go to sleep when they take vitamin D at night. So it's preferable to take vitamin D at the beginning of the day. Okay. So schedule so those, the D at the beginning of the day, magnesium towards the end of the day. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, now with magnesium for most individuals, um, it's usually good to take four to 600 milligrams before bed. Um, okay. Yeah. Now it, you can titrate this yourself because the, the, um, there's a self-regulatory mechanism here, uh, with magnesium. Essentially what happens is if you start to overdose on magnesium, the sign of that with all other variables being normal with no change in your nutrition, you will start to have loose bowel movements. So okay. if nothing else changed, your diet's the same, and all of a sudden you notice you upped your magnesium, you're having loose bowel movements, that it's means you're having two, that's, yeah, you're overdosing on magnesium, so you should bump it down. However, the majority of the population is so deficient that four to 600 milligrams is not gonna bring them anywhere near that. However, I always like to tell people that just as a safety measure. Okay, and you know, we're recording this webinar at a very interesting time. We're all quarantined because of the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And as a result of that, what's come to light is high doses of vitamin C and zinc. Uh, Can you speak to that? And uh, should that be a part of someone's regular routine supplementation? Um, On a normal basis, no. I don't don't recommend vitamin C. overdosing, let me rephrase that. I don't recommend increasing vitamin C intake above what normally is healthy on a regular basis. The reason being the way the body works, if you have excessive amounts of vitamin C all the time, it decreases the effect of it over time. Okay. However, however, when you do it intermittently, it's good because okay. your, body, your body won't have that response. So in this situation, yes, I'm a big supporter of that. And, so, and the right amount of dosing on that? So this, I'm going to tell you from a physician friend uh, that told me about this. Um, once again, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm just sharing with you what I've, what I've experienced myself and what I know from, from physicians that, uh, that are knowledgeable. Um, 
he recommends using uh, during the coronavirus situation or um, any situation where you're in a hypo uh, immune situation where you need to make your immune system become more optimal, 1,000 uh, milligrams a day, um, spacing them out three times a day. But that should be for a finite period. It's not something like you do, you know, uh, infinitely throughout the year, every single day. Okay, so 1,000 cumulatively spaced out or 1,000 three times a day? 1,000 three times a day. Okay, so total 3,000 milligrams. Yeah. A day. yeah. Okay, got it. Right, got it. right. Got it. Okay, awesome. Um, and any, any word on zinc? Yeah. So zinc, um, there's two situations where I, I recommend people supplement with zinc. Um, one is somebody who uh, is an athlete and training to the point where they're, they're training to, to, to failure levels, mm -hmm. uh, either as a runner or a lifter, regardless of what your sport is. Um, I think that you should supplement with zinc at bedtime with the magnesium. Um, and then during the coronavirus situation, for sure, um, I think it's beneficial. And that, for most people, 100 milligrams uh, is usually sufficient at bedtime. If you're an athlete, uh, 200 milligrams. Once again, you know, these are just general recommendations. You know, check with your physician on this. I'm just sharing with you what I've found to be beneficial for me and my clients and what I've garnered from, uh, from people that are actually qualified in that field. Okay. Um, let's also talk about, you know, while we were talking about, um, supplementation and also exercise, uh, utilizing creatine monohydrate to, you know, a lot of people swear by it. There's a lot of medical journals that point to it. Uh, it's about 20 years of studies now, uh, that it is one of the safest, um, you know, if you want to put in quotation marks, PEDs that are out there. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And, um, you know, I, I can say for myself, I think I definitely feel the immediate effects of it, especially if I'm cycling on and cycling off with the lactic acid prolongation and being able to squeeze in additional reps, uh, especially if I'm trying to attain hypertrophy. Um, can you speak to us on that and what your thoughts are on creatine? Sure. So this answer is going to be multi-pronged for different populations. Um, so generally speaking, um, for a lay person who's not lifting weights, um, I don't think there's any reason to use creatine. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of authorities believe that um, people who benefit from creatine, so this is just a school of thought some people have, and it's, it's food for thought. I don't really have a lot of evidence for this, uh, but it's just something that I think people should think about. A lot of people are saying that people who, whose receptors are receptive to creatine and benefit from it, they're usually people that are deficient in salt. Mm. So that's just something to think about. Um, a lot of people, even in the, the uh, fitness community that are um, world record holders in, the, in powerlifting, et cetera, um, they're saying that if you have normal levels of salt, that you don't need creatine and you won't do anything. The only reason why you're benefiting from creatine is because you're not getting enough salt. Um, so um, they believe that the main effects, they don't believe that the other effects of um, shuttling nutrients in to, to cells of creatine and uh, increasing mitochondrial activity, et cetera, they don't believe that they're as valid. They believe that the volumization, the fluid volumization effect is the main effect of creatine. Again, it's, again, it's, just, a, it's just an opinion. Um, so that's one side note. Um, I don't think a lay person has any reason to take creatine. 
for the layperson also, there's also um, in, I'm also a certified manual therapist. So I do a lot of uh, work uh, such as craniosacral therapy, myofascial release, where I'm doing manual techniques to change the volume of the cerebral spinal fluid mm -hmm. uh, for people that are, have neurological problems, headaches, chronic pain, chronic fatigue. I treat babies that have uh, birth defects, neurological disorders, et cetera. So there's, there, there's some evidence that shows that excessive amounts of creatine, because you're, you're increasing volumization, volumization of fluid. Um, now, our body does not have uh, a way of specifying where that fluid goes. So that fluid, if you, the intent, why do we take creatine for volumization? It's for the muscles, right? For the muscle cells. Mm -hmm. But that fluid is also going potentially to the heart, you know, to other places. So that fluid can also increase um, cerebrospinal fluid volume. So once again, causing brain fog, causing pressure against the brain, um, just some things to be aware of for the layperson. There's no need. Now, okay. now that's one, that's one uh, aspect of it. Now, coming to the point on somebody who's, let's talk about somebody who's trying to work towards hypertrophy or strength goals. I don't think a person should really touch that. Number one, before they've done everything they can for a few years. Um, I think that, you know, just like anabolic steroids, a person, uh, you know, a perspective I like to have with supplementation and, and, and including creatine is, well, why don't you do everything you can to, to, to build up as much muscle tissue as possible with just food until you know you've optimized sleep, you can't, you, you physically can't eat anymore. You've never missed a workout for years. You've never screwed up your sleep. You, right. you know, you've hardly missed meals and you're, you're at the point where you've gained so much weight, right. muscle weight that you literally can't eat anymore. That's the only time you should even be thinking about this stuff. But on a side note, one of the problems After that happens, exhausting all of the normal yeah, things, right? Just like, just like people who use anabolic steroids, which obviously yeah. I'm not a supporter of, but I'm not talking about what I believe in. I'm just talking about science. Yeah. From a scientific perspective, if somebody wanted to achieve optimal hypertrophy, again, I've been studying this since I was 12. <laughs> um, if, a, if, if, I, if somebody were to you know, hire me and have me do things against my beliefs, and I was in a lab, so to speak, I was in a vacuum, yeah. I, would I would literally take that person from age 12 and do, pour everything I know into them in terms of doing everything possible to get as much muscle tissue on their body as possible and exhaust that until they're like age 25 or 28. Right. And then, and only then should you start thinking about anabolic steroids. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm giving you that example is I like to look at that the same way with creatine. Okay. This is just my, my belief. I'm not saying people have to follow it, right. but I'm, that's, a, that's how I, I choose to look at it now. So if, so if you're 18 and you never lifted weights and you never, you never ate regularly, you never did meal prep and you're always just eating, you know, on the fly, why are you taking creatine? You're going to make, you're, you're going to gain 20 pounds of muscle in the next two years, just eating food. Yeah. Why do you want to bloat yourself like a balloon? Yeah. Don't you want to put on solid muscle? Because as we know, when you use creatine, there's a little bit of a softness or bubbly look to the muscle. And it's not like that grainy hard look that comes from years of, of tortured uh, training. Right. But right. Being, in a, 
being in a dungeon, which nobody wants to be in anymore. <laughs> right. Everybody, everybody wants to, you know, put gel in their hair and use creatine and go yeah, to a nice gym. Gel in your hair. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. what I'm saying is have the gel, but also work hard. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying, everybody wants to be pampered and have, and smell nice when they go to the gym and wipe down their equipment and the equipment has to be shiny. I didn't grow up like that. Right. I didn't grow up like that. When I was growing up, the gym that I went to. It's a coddled culture now. Yeah. When I, when I, when I was growing up, me and my friends, when we were teenagers, we were in a gym that was all black and the, the, the Rocky four style. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the, the, the plates were, were chipping off and, yeah. and the, the bars were rusted and there's right. something special to that. Yeah. There's something to be said sure. about that. Now, why is that relevant? Because I believe that creates like a whole mindset. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is, you know, you know, bust your tail a little bit and yeah. forget about all this fluff. for the shortcuts and stuff. Yeah. Forget yeah. this fluffy stuff. And then if you've done all that, then maybe think about that. So mm -hmm. getting to the third population, the person who I think, you know, maybe it's okay for, for them to use um, yeah. is, is the person who's done everything. Yeah. And then maybe they can use creatine, you know, but, but um, the other thing with creatine is that once, once you stop using it for a while, you're going to lose the volumization effect. So my argument is, don't you want to have like the solid muscle that's actually a part of your skeleton yeah. as opposed to having this layer of water? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Also, you know, um, time management is an extremely important aspect of an entrepreneur's life. A lot of people are very busy. It's just the fact of it. They've got family lives. They've got community work that they have to tend to and all of that. Uh, not to mention commute time to the gym right? Um, what would you recommend as far as optimal time for working out? Uh, you know, for example, I, I see this equipment that keeps stalking me all over Facebook now because I think I clicked on it one time. It's called the X3. And, um, you know, they, they say that in 10 minutes, you can get an amazing workout, you fatigue all your muscles and all of that. And it's as like you're going to the gym. To me, it sounds a little kooky because I don't think you could get the same workout that you do over an hour and a half with weights versus this contraption for 10 minutes. I, I don't know how that could be equivalent, right? So that, that's one question that I have. It's a multi-pronged question. The, the second part is bro splits or complex movements and kind of using antagonizing muscles to work out. So you get more done in a shorter amount of time. That's part two of the question. And then part three is frequency of workouts through the week. Is three the right number? Three days a week, four days a week, five days a week? Uh, I have a friend who's amazing, amazing shape. I'm uh, married to my cousin. Um, and, you know, he's probably about six, 7% body fat, eight pack, all of that. Uh, and for his weight, he's 155 pounds, believe it or not. He's uh, about my age, about 37 years old. Uh, deadlifts about 430, so super strong. Um, and he works out seven days a week. And his take on it is, you know, why schedule rest days? If your body feels good and you can get a workout in, then do the workout. Do something to sweat today. Don't just skip it for the sake of having a rest day or, you know, rejuvenating or restoring yourself. While others will say, no, you absolutely need to plan a rest day. No cardio no workouts at all. So, um, so I guess the question was, you know, time duration, types of workouts and frequency throughout the week. 
how can you optimize all of that? And, and what do you think about that? What would you like me to start with? Uh, let's start with um, the time in the gym. How much time do you need to be in the gym? Okay. Um, and you had also mentioned, uh, do you want me to connect that with the time of the day also? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll give you two answers <laughs> there. Okay. As far as time of the day, the first answer I'm going to give is based on everybody's schedules. Uh, everybody's busy in some way. Right. So regarding time of the day, the easiest and most pragmatic answer is whenever it's possible for you. Okay. All right. Because, because some, yeah, because sometimes you just can't force in a morning workout. You know, somebody has to be at work at 6 a.m. and they just can't. Or, you know, somebody has to be at work at 8 a.m. But before they go to work, maybe they need to drop their kids off at school or other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just not possible. You know what right. I mean? So whenever um, you can. Okay. Yeah. So number one, the first thing to start with is whenever you can practically schedule into your day, into your week, where it's actually going to happen. Because the most important thing is compliance and consistency. So schedule it at a time where you know that you're not going to feel stressed. It's not going to overwhelm your schedule. And you're not going to have to move heaven and earth to get to the, to the gym or the, the field or wherever you're going or your, your basement or garage or whatever it is. Um, so that's number one. Don't try to force it into a, in, into a, into a space where you're going to have to stress yourself out. I, I think it's much better to do at a, do a workout at a suboptimal time. Um, than to, than to force it in at a time where you're, your heart's beating too fast and you're stressed and your mind is on something else. You know what I mean? Right. Because when you're working out, you want to be present also. It's also about like a mental state as well. Right. Um, and achieving now, that mind-muscle connection and all that, right? Yeah, you got to be present. It's kind of like a meditative thing for me. I, yeah. For me, it's like, for sure. it's like a... Therapeutic. To me, to, me, I, to, to me, lifting weights is like yoga. Like yeah. the state that you get in or, or that, that you should get in or that I like to try to get in when I'm in that state, that's like where I'm feeling relaxed. And yeah. even though I'm working hard, I'm, yeah. I'm, that's my, you know what I mean? That's like a, a focus state. Yeah. So whenever in the day that you can actually feel like you can achieve that, that's when you should do it. It's like, it's like telling somebody force in meditation at a time where you're, you know, that's hard for you in the day. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you can't you know shut it off. Mean? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now, um, now as far as optimal time to work out, based on my, my knowledge of what I've read in the research and my own experience, I, I don't think there really is an optimal time. You know, some people will say, some people will say you shouldn't work out at night. Some people you know, will say that you should work. It's better to work out in the morning, but you know what? I've tried both and I feel like there's benefits to both. Like I'll give you an example. Sometimes I work out in the morning because my work day is starting at 1130 or 12. And on those days, I feel the benefit of the fact that, my mind is clear. I get blood flow to my brain and I, you know, I take my shower and I start the day feeling tired a little bit and calm, tired in like a therapeutic way, like calm, yeah. you know, from, from the exertion. Um, and my mind is clear. So from that perspective, morning workouts are great. You've got the endorphins pumping and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and you have positive thoughts going because of the endorphins, like you mentioned for yeah. sure. Um, however, on the other end, there's times where I have to, I have to work out at night. Cause if I don't, I'm going to miss my workout because that's just my day because that there's certain days where I have to start my day very early. Okay. And if I don't, work at, if I don't work out at night, I'm going to miss my workout. So when I work out at night, I feel the other benefit that I'm so exhausted that I go to bed and I, 
I hit my, my head hits the pillow and I'm out. So, mm. so now if we go into the lab, if we go into like an ideal scenario, yeah, I think, I think probably ideally the ideal time to work out would be having breakfast and then waiting like a half hour, an hour, and then getting your workout in. Because I think that that's probably optimal to set your, your, your endorphins and your oxygen flow to your brain and, and, and get everything going physiologically, revving the systems up of your body so that the whole day, um, your blood is pumping, your lymphatic fluid is pumping, your, your immune system also, as regarding the COVID thing, your immune system gets a kickstart also. So yeah. I w- based on my experience and knowledge, I would recommend a morning workout optimally, but I don't think people should feel bad if they can't get it in. Because like I said, I feel benefits from other, other times also. Okay. And then um, number of days a week, is there, um, or should you schedule, you know, actual rest days where you just kind of take yeah. the day off? Yeah. So this is a very interesting topic. And this topic we could probably talk about for a long time. Okay. Um, however, um, in a nutshell, I'll tell Tip you notes. my, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you my, I'll tell you my bullet points based on my experience. Okay. Um, the rest days thing. Coming to the point that you mentioned, that's your brother-in-law you mentioned? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because part of that has to do with your training intensity. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody who's training seven days a week and is using a, a bro split, right? Yeah. Where you're doing like one body part. Let's talk about like hypertrophy in this scenario, right? It's easier to to talk about when you're talking about splits. Um, so if you're doing one body part, body part a week, like seven day split, or, you know, I've done when, when hypertrophy was a part of my life in my, in my twenties and stuff, you know, I've done things where, you know, I would do like a, uh, six day on three days off, not, not, not just limiting it to like a seven days. Sometimes you can, you can get benefit from not functioning in a seven day frame. Right. There's, there's so, what, what I was going to say is regarding that is that if you're doing a seven day split and you're, you're only training one body part a week, I'm sorry, one, yeah, one body part a day. So once a week, um, then a case could be made for not having a rest day. So if you're training only biceps on Monday, for example, and then chest on Tuesday and then shoulders the next day or whatever, um, a case could be made that you could get away with it without having a full rest day. Okay. Um, Okay, so this answer is, is also individual specific because it depends on the person's age. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 42 now. So for me, to, for me to like never take rest days probably wouldn't be optimal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but when I was in my 20s, I could get away with that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so if you don't, if your volume and intensity are lower, then the rest time needed goes down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you're doing if you're doing upper body if you're doing push pull legs for example yeah right if you're doing push pull legs you know you may need rest days because you're beating yourself up so much yeah or if you're doing upper lower if you're doing an upper body day where you're doing your push muscles and your pull muscles back chest shoulders triceps biceps forearms traps um you know a case could be made you may need a rest day just because you've depleted yourself so much so right. There's no, there's no black or white answer. The individual has to see how they're recovering. So the, so the frequency of times a week, I think that you should always come back to, um, 
have you heard of the term MRV? No. So there's this term in, uh, in uh, sports science. Uh, it's, it's, it, uh, the abbreviation is MRV, maximal recoverable volume. So Shamil, whenever you're for yourself or you're talking to somebody that you know, whenever they're confused about like how many times a week, how many sets, uh, et cetera, what type of split should I use? The easiest way to know if you're recovering and if, and if your frequency or intensity or volume is optimal for you from a scientific standpoint, so you're not guessing and just talking with your friends and throwing things in the air, this is the truth. Just if you follow this, you will know. And yeah. the answer is different for everybody and it's different for different phases of your life. Mm -hmm. you know? When I was a soccer player, the answer is different because my recovery is different. Right. Now that, now that I'm not playing soccer competitively, things are different. You know what I mean? Things change. Yeah. So MRV refers to maximal recoverable, recoverable volume, which means the amount of volume that you can recover from in order to be ready for your next training session. So mm -hmm. you have to see each individual, each trainee needs to see that on my, on, let, let's use the example of, uh, let's go to the seven day split. Okay. Yeah. Because it's easy to use to divide it up. We're going to use biceps as an example, okay? Because it's a small muscle group. So let's say Monday is biceps day, okay? And you have three exercises. You're doing, uh, you're doing straight bar curls, preacher curls, um, spider curls, and then you're doing uh, uh, chin-ups, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's your biceps workout. So let's say you did three sets per exercise and you're trying to say in the eight to 12 rep range and your rest periods are two minutes between sets. So here we have all the objective data, right? Because if you want to achieve goals, you have to really be as objective as possible. Um, that's something that I learned from when I was a kid. Like since I was 12, I always documented all my workouts. I always kept notebooks and everything. I, I learned that from Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, education of a bodybuilder. Okay. Um, but, but there's a lot of wisdom to that because if you, if you track all those numbers, then you're going to make progress without taking chances. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you're just going to the gym and randomly picking weights. And one set, you rested one minute. One set, you rested three minutes. You can't track your progress over time. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So let's say a person had four exercises for biceps, three sets, eight to 12 reps, two minutes of rest period, right? Right. On the, on the subsequent bicep day, which would be eight days later, right? On a seven day split, something has to improve. Your, if your number of reps didn't improve, the weight you could handle didn't improve, mm -hmm. then you did not, you went beyond your MRV, maximal recoverable volume. Okay. Does that make I sense? Understood. So yeah. your volume was beyond what you could recover from. So the next week, what do you have to do? You have to change your, you have to decrease your volume somehow. Either yeah. you need to, cut off one set from each exercise or in increase the rest period, something right. has to change. No, this is perfect for entrepreneurs because we measure KPIs, key performance indicators. So yeah. for example, if we're doing lead generation for our business and we're trying to acquire new customers, we're going to ask our sales team how many calls were made, how many appointments were made from those calls, from those appointments, how many of those actually became deals or contracts and so on and so forth. And this is what's so good about this is that it's measurable so that you can go back and look at numbers and data right. and verify, right. 
you know, am I making progress or are we going backwards? And it, right. what's working, what's not working, what needs to be adapted and what needs to be tweaked. So it makes right. perfect sense. Now, now, right now. now, the other thing that I want to touch upon is that a lot of times people think that when you use a bro split or you're doing yeah. like one body part a day, et cetera, yeah. a lot of people don't, don't realize that when you're doing a bro split or, or, or uh, it, and bro splits don't have to be one body part a day, as you know, there's different forms. Right. So, so let's say you're doing one party part a, body part a day. An argument could be made that you're actually not doing one body part a day. You understand? Mm -hmm. So somebody could say, well, I'm going to do, um, you know, push pull legs and do that for six days straight. So that way I'm getting two times a week protein synthesis uh, stimulation for each muscle group. Correct. Right. However, an argument could be made about one time a week training, doing, uh, creating two times a week stimulus as well. Because when you're doing biceps and you train back, you're hitting biceps again. Right, right. When you do, yeah, if you do chest, you're hitting triceps, you're hitting triceps twice. So, um, and then somebody could say, well, what about chest? When you, when you train back, you are, from a stabilization standpoint, also hitting chest indirectly a little bit. Yeah. Um, when you're training shoulders, when you do an overhead press, either with a dumbbell or a barbell, um, you are hitting your upper pec fibers a little bit. So there, people shouldn't think that when you're doing one body part a day, that mm -hmm. it's, it's clear cut as just one body part a day. There is, for, for mo most of the muscle group, there is muscle protein synthesis being stimulated twice a week, uh, even on a once, uh, one body part a day uh, split. Does that make because sense? Because those muscles aren't generally thought of as being used, but they're indirectly or, you know, they're secondarily helping with that yeah. specific lift, right? Okay, Correct. you can right, got you. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, as far as cardio, uh, you know, especially for males, uh, the, I think ideal objective is to attain sort of a sprinters type of a body as opposed to a marathoners type of a body. Yeah. Um, do you recommend anything as far as either lists or miss, um, low intensity, steady state or medium intensity versus hit and just getting it done? Uh, yeah. I know some people, when they do hit, they need a recovery day just from their hit workout because it is so strenuous on your, on your joints, on your entire system versus if you do list, if it's just walking for 45 minutes, speed walking at like a four, 4.5 uh, miles per hour type of a pace. Uh, what's the recommendation there? Uh, and then also tie that to cognitive function as far as doing cardio uh, so that we can optimize as entrepreneurs. Sure. So that depends on what the person is doing with their other training. Okay. So for, for example, say you have um, somebody who their goal is not hypertrophy. They're just working on strength, right? Uh -huh. So they're, they're, they're training in like the five rep range, two to three rep range, right? Um, that person, if they're doing hit all the time, yeah. they're going to be, they're gonna be de de depleting their neurotransmitter pool. So yeah. you have to think about what other training am I doing? And you have to match that to the type of cardio that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah. Because if, if you, if you're sending conflicting signals to the body, then you're going to, you're going to create interference with what your main goal is. So mm -hmm. if you're, so strength training, as we know, significantly depletes the neurotransmitter pool because it's mostly neuro, neurological drive, mm -hmm. you know, low rep ranges. And then if you're doing hit, then you're depleting it further. So you're interfering with the recovery that's gonna, that you need for that subsequent workout. So, so that's one thing to note. Um, if a person 
let's say, let's take a person who's not lifting weights at all. Mm -hmm. For that individual, I usually recommend they do a combination, both. I believe that they should do some variation of high intensity cardio, um, hit endless. So they should also do some steady state, brisk walking, jogging, et cetera, to build. I like to look at the, the, low, the low intensity steady state as building a foundation of your tank. Okay. It's like you're, you're, you're increasing your physiological reservoir of okay. oxygen, oxygen intake and lung, lung expansion, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah. So use of blood, et cetera. So getting the, the fluid pumping through your body, I think that's a really nice benefit of low intensity, steady state, just going for a long jog. You know what okay. I mean? That, that I, an argument could be made. And I actually even encourage this for people who are lifters, even people who are doing power lifting and not hypertrophy. Um, there's actually Eastern power lifters who purposely do low intensity cardio just because they know that secret that it's going to increase your lung capacity and your overall body system, body system's ability to handle load. Okay. So let's take a non lifter for them. I think they should do both. Okay. Because the, the steady state does what I mentioned, but the, the high intensity, uh, uh, cardio, I believe changes your body in terms of how it looks. Um, how do you become, how do you look like a sprinter sprint? Right. Right. Um, and obviously there's more details to that. Yeah. I'm overly simplifying it. Stretch out your hamstrings though, before you do, I mean, I've tried yeah. doing that yeah. and didn't stretch as well. And then I was out for like five days because <laughs> sure. I pulled my hamstring while I was yeah. sprinting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you totally. Yeah. But, um, but for somebody who's not a lifter, they should do both. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's a lifter, you have to see, do you have the capacity to cover from hit? Yeah. You know, and that's where the training frequency comes in. Um, going back to that, you know, research is showing for, is showing that for a non, uh, enhanced lifter, you know, optimal frequency seems to be hitting every muscle group, tw group twice a week. Yeah. So that's the newest research, uh, okay. from Brad Schoenfeld. You may have heard of him. Yep. Uh, okay. Awesome. So, um, I know we went into the weeds a little bit with that, but I don't know when I was going to get you back or see you the next time, uh, especially because okay. we're quarantined right now. So yeah. uh, I figured I'd ask you, a lot of this is for my own uh, benefit and knowledge. And if anybody else benefits from this, that's uh, obviously great as well. Two other subjects that I wanted to cover with you while I have you. Uh, one's somebody that's dealing with chronic nagging pain, uh, be it lower back pain is pretty typical of people that are pretty active, um, you know, going to the gym and so on and so forth. Uh, and it gets in the way of your work productivity. Um, so what should somebody be doing from obviously sleep? I think we kind of got that and we, we nailed that optimal amount of sleep, but nutrition, uh, exercises, stretches, things like that. Somebody that has chronic pain, at what point, you know, before they go to see a specialist, uh, you know, uh, somebody that's uh, specialized in physical therapy or chiropractic or, or whatever, what can they do on their own to kind of mitigate some of that chronic pain so that they can get through their day and still be productive? Sure. So first, I'm just going to put out there and put this to the side, the, the fact that any type of pain usually has some type of specific reason. So mm -hmm. Um, without actually knowing exactly what's causing the pain. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard for me to say exactly what to do. Um, okay. However, what I'm going to do, once I've said that, got that out of the way, 
because every specific problem has a specific answer. Because low back pain, for example, has like 20 to 30 reasons why a person uh, can experience that, you know? Okay. Um, but let's put that aside. I'm going to talk about what a person could do without a professional to make sure, number one, that doesn't come on or decrease the chances of that happening, uh, physical aches and pains coming on. And then number two, if they have it, what they can do on their own. Okay, perfect. But, but, but these things are going to be general. Okay. You know? Because those, if, if it's something very complex and, and something that's causing yeah, a lot of pain. Yeah, and I get that because there's so many permutations of why the pain exists in the first sure. place, right? Yeah. So uh, it's going to be individual specific and case specific. But yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that framework of general guidelines. What are some of the things that they can do to prevent it? And then if they have it, how do they deal with it? Yeah. So this is how a person can build their layers in front of them to, to make sure this doesn't happen. And then if it happens, how to, how, to, how to mitigate the effects. So you need to have a, a lifestyle that's constantly putting your myofascial system in a state where there isn't a lot of tension, okay? Sure. So that's why I usually recommend to people they should start their day and end, end their day with some version of stretching, okay? If a person it, it does yoga, then they can use yoga for that. If somebody is a mainstream fitness person, then just do mainstream stretches that address the major regions of your body head to toe, okay? okay. Give yourself, so layer number one is to give yourself 15 to 30 minutes at the start of the day and at the end of the day and at the end of the day, this can be tied in with our sleep routine of time where you're stretching to reset your muscle fibers and your myofascial system. So the fascia is not compressing you um, because when you, when you have myofascial tension, that's when you're predisposed for injury. And that's also, if you have an injury, what's going to increase your pain. Okay. So if you have a nerve root, for example, that's compressing your spine yeah. and, your and your fascia is tight, it's going to squeeze that nerve root even more. Mm. So the best thing you can do for yourself is stretch the in the morning and at night. Start your day and end your day with it. Then in addition to that, if you have more time or you can work this into those two times is do some version of self soft tissue work using foam rollers, lacrosse balls, tennis balls against the wall on the floor, using other products such as a Theracane. Um, so these are all things that a person can go, go to YouTube and type in foam rolling for lower back pain. Okay. Um, uh, Plantar fasciitis and all sorts of things. Yeah. Okay. Self treatment, self soft tissue, self massage for, uh, for shoulder impingement. Okay. okay. Whatever. So you have. I, I think that generally speaking, most people these days don't take care of themselves enough. Yeah. They don't give their bodies enough time. They're they're putting all their time into their work, but they're not paying themselves first, so to speak. Where, where does uh, fitting in a massage once a week? Um, yeah. Do you see that as part of a, a, a regular regimen that somebody should have? Let me tell you something. Mm. If, I, if I could afford it, I would have one daily. That's how much. <laughs> just because it feels so good. Yeah. And I'm, not, and I'm not just talking about how it feels. I'm talking about the physiological benefits. That's how, okay. strong, of a, that's how strong of a supporter I am of deep tissue massage. Okay. Now, my recommendation, what I always tell people, is get a soft tissue, get a deep tissue massage as frequently as you can financially afford it, uh, practically speaking. Okay. Yep. So, so uh, have a routine where twice a day you're doing self soft tissue work and self stretching. Okay. okay. Then, in, in addition to that, when you train, 
if you're a, if you're a runner, if you're a basketball player, you're a, um, a lay person who goes to the gym, you're mm-hmm. a martial artist, whatever you do, you need to have a routine that you do for 15 to 30 minutes before you participate in your activity, consisting of dynamic stretching, something that's going to get blood flowing and get your muscle uh, fibers uh, used to pumping and contracting and getting the actin myosin filaments sliding on each other with lubrication. So some type of dynamic stretching routine before your training. And then after your training, once again, if you have time, you should do some type of stretching and soft tissue work to lengthen the fibers after your training. Now, of course, this takes a lot of planning and organization. So people that go to the gym that, for example, if you're, if you're somebody who lifts weights, I tell people, you need to think of this as part of your workout. But usually what happens is people go in when they're lifting, for example, yeah, and bang, they're, bang, they're, bang, they're, yeah, their warm up is just lifting. Yeah. And, and then they do their workout and then they just leave. Yeah. So if you're, ta- if you're asking me about how to prevent injuries and make sure uh, you mitigate them when they're there, that's the biggest problem right there mm. is okay. walking out and then forgetting about everything and then going on to the next thing because you just shortened your myofascial system and now you didn't do anything to reset it and decrease the tension you created. Okay. And, and not only on that note, but you're, you're, you're interfering with your, 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 your progress in terms of strength and hypertrophy because in order for a muscle to expand, you have to stretch the fascia and the webbing that's around it and going through it. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not just injury, but it's also, it's not just injury prevention, but also for, uh, uh, achieving the, the fitness goals that you have or performance goals. If you're an athlete, speaking of injuries, you know, there's a, um, fitness trainer, gym owner that I'm connected to on Facebook. And he often posts about, you know, consuming sugar and breads, um, that foods like that make you more susceptible to injury. Every time he posts something like that, though, he doesn't exactly put any sort of scientific peer-based, you know, peer-reviewed journal or any kind of article behind it, but he, he, that's a message that he puts out often, right? And as you were mentioning that, I just came to my mind, I want to ask, is there validity to that, um, uh, you know, the foods that you eat and do they make you more susceptible to some sort of injury? And I think once, I could be wrong here. Uh, he had written that it makes your blood stickier um, uh, and your muscles stickier, so they not more often. Um, again, I don't know the scientific basis of that, but if you could speak on that, that'd be great. Sure, sure. Um, so I've never heard of anything regarding the intake of, of sugar or carbohydrates of any sort um, as it relates to injury. However, mm-hmm. However, what he's mentioning, I don't know who you're referring to, but, and that's not relevant. It's okay. But what he mentioned about the, the blood getting sticky, there is research that shows that sugar creates inflammation um, inside the blood vessels. And okay. when it creates inflammation in the blood vessels, it does create a stickiness or, or a predisposition um, for things that are going through your bloodstream, bloodstream to adhere to the inner linings. So okay. causing have, lesions in your, yes. um, okay. Right. Yeah, and so onset I have of actually, atherosclerosis and things like that. Correct. So I've heard of that in the connection of on, with the onset of, of uh, uh, atherosclerosis and, and and clogging your arteries because of the stickiness of the lining. Okay. Um, but from from an injury prevention standpoint, I haven't seen a, heard of a connection um, myself. I haven't I haven't 
heard of anything or read anything in the research. However, um, in terms of nutrition for injury prevention, the only thing that I'm aware of is dehydration. Like I told, like I mentioned before, dehydration can cause brittleness of your tissues, right. which can make a muscle. A dehydrated muscle is more likely to tear. Okay. A, a dehydrated ligament is more likely to tear. Okay. So if you're dehydrated and you're going to play a basketball game, when you plant really hard to, to cut or twist and go the other way, you're more likely to, to tear your MCL, LCL, ACL if, there's the, if, if it's more brittle. You know, mm -hmm. just like any other material, mm -hmm. if it's brittle, you know, if it's dehydrated, it's going to crumble or, or tear. Okay. So that, yeah. But specifically on what you mentioned, I haven't heard anything. Okay. Okay. And then, and then coming back to the chronic pain, um, you were talking about a lot of the preventative measures. Um, actually, I did want to have one more question is uh, some of those, uh, I think, metal scrapers that people use on um, muscle tissue to get knots out and things like that. What, what's that all about and how effective is that? Yeah. So that's called IASTM. Um, it stands for Instrument Assisted Soft Tissue Mobilization, okay. which, which basically just means you're using a tool to loosen up a restricted soft tissue. Okay. Um, yeah. And I myself in my own work, I do use that and I find it to be really effective. Um, yeah. In my experience, I actually don't, I don't believe that it breaks up. So we have two things. We have, we have fascial tightness and fascial restriction. And then we have what are called myofascial trigger points or, not, or knots in the muscle. So mm -hmm. on a microscopic level, what that is, is um, you, you may remember you're a bio major from college. I remember, yeah. right? No. So you remember the actin and myosin filament that sit like this? Yep. So there's that zone of overlap here. Remember that? Right. Okay, we're back. Okay, so um, it looks like we froze up. So what I was saying was, you, you remember the cross bridges that, mm -hmm. that lay in the uh, zone of overlap on the actin myosin filaments? Yeah. They act as teeth that pull the adjacent actin-myosin filaments over each other. And that's right. known as the sliding, sliding filament theory of muscle contraction. Right. Now, what happens is sometimes those, uh, those fibers, the actin-myosin filaments, can get stuck on each other and then also get crisscrossed like this. Hmm. And then after they get crisscrossed, you can have layers of crisscrossing on top of each other. So hmm. those are known as myofascial trigger points. And those okay. are essentially muscle knots. Now, those tools that you mentioned, the steel tools, they don't really break up the muscle knots, but what they do is they, um, we use cream on the person's body. And then we use those tools, those steel tools to create friction, to free up scar tissue and the fascial adhesions. Okay. Um, however, however to, to, to free up those knots, um, I, I use, I feel like you need to use deeper techniques such as my, my own hands. Uh, I feel like hands are the best tool in, in that regard. Okay. Um, and, and other tools, but the, the metal tools that you're referring to, those steel tools, they're more for breaking up superficial soft tissue and getting that fascia to slide, the superficial layer of fascia to slide in the muscle. Okay, okay, cool. And then people that are dealing with the chronic pain, um, how can they deal with it in a point where they can mitigate it so that they can carry on with their day and still be productive? Yeah, so when you say chronic pain, are you referring to chronic pain in a particular spot or somebody who has chronic pain everywhere? Um, yeah, localized. So okay. it could be lower back, it could be knees. Um, 
you know, they could be putting off meniscus surgery. Sure. Uh, it could be sciatica. Uh, yeah. Of course, it's going to be specific. But what are like some ways that if it is localized that way, um, things that they could do from a nutrition standpoint, exercise, stretching, all of that to uh, minimize that so they can get through their day? Sure. So once again, if we're talking generally like this, um, number one, I would go back to the first uh, thing I mentioned regarding that is twice a day stretching and doing some form of soft tissue work on your own without right. a practitioner, you know, stretching and then doing uh, foam rolling, using a lacrosse or tennis ball and different parts of your body or, or a Theracane or other tools that you can get. Okay. Um, so that, that's number one. In addition to that, you can do joint mobility work. So, oh, so you're, are, you're a proponent of the Theragun, the, the gun that, you know, yeah. okay. Well, uh, it feels yeah. 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 I mean, um, there's many different forms of that. There's, yeah. there's a Theragun, there's um, the Tim Tam, the Hypervolt. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, they're all different I, price points and stuff, right? I like all of them. I like all of them. Currently, um, I personally have a Theragun, I have a Tim Tam actually, but, okay. but to be honest with you, um, I'm planning on upgrading to a Hypervolt because I believe that to be the best one out right now. Okay. Um, I have, uh, I know somebody that has a, a Hypervolt and I used it and I felt like it was much better. You know, than it, it's crazy. About 20 years ago, my, um, my father's mother, so my daddy's brother, who yeah. lives out in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, he's legally blind, right? Okay. Uh, and he's a chiropractor. He's got a super loyal client base. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, obviously when you're, deprived of one sense your other senses are really heightened so his sense of touch sure. is really heightened he's amazing with his hands sure. um and so i remember back then he brought a black and decker like one of those drill machines yeah. and he actually put a tennis ball uh really? there, made a hole into and yeah. i'm like you got to patent this thing and now you see all the hypervolts and the theracons and things like that I'm like oh my god we could have done something with this but yeah oh he was ahead of his time yeah so uh Currently, like I said, I myself have a Tim Tam, but, but I think the Hypervolt is like the BMW of them. I think it's amazing. Okay. Okay. But, um, but getting back to your point, aside from the other things I mentioned, the, the yeah. stretching soft tissue work twice a day, there are exercises that, that you can do that are, that are uh, known as mobility exercises for your joints to open up the, what, what we call the joint capsules of the joints that are the spheres of ligaments that surround each joint. Um, and that frees up play in every single joint, in your hips, your shoulders, your SI joints, et cetera. Um, once again, to decrease and, uh, and, and hopefully prevent future aches and pains. Um, the other thing that they can do, we were talking about the, the, uh, the actin myosin filaments, vitamin D, if you're vitamin D deficient, that's one of the main things that's known to make these endings sticky. So mm. if you're vitamin D deficient, the fibers can't slide on each other. They become sticky and you get those myofascial trigger points, those knots in the muscles. Um, also, um, you should all, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, so that's some really good tips and tricks uh, to tackle that. Um, somebody had sent in a question about, let's see here. Okay, relations with the spouse um, to have optimal cognitive capacity and so on and so forth. Um, if you could speak on that topic as well. Um, so I definitely can. What exactly yeah. are they referring to? Are they referring to 
so, so it was it seems like it's a pretty much general question but you know um i don't know if you're talking about frequency or just in yeah, okay. but but having relationships with the wife um to make sure that you're performing at your optimal performance and and, okay. and how sexual intimacy i guess is a critical element and component of overall health well-being mentally and physically okay so regarding that um if we're talking about the work day etc um from the standpoint of an entrepreneur which this is about yeah. um immediately after your cognitive function is going to decrease so it's the same thing it's the same reason why like fighters um they don't have relations with their significant other you know a couple days before a fight they just stop or like some people two days some people a week before a fight um because you know it's supposed to drain your central nervous system a little bit yeah. um and it, and it decreases a little a little bit of the aggression that a fighter would need um yeah. so so similarly if we scale that down and you're, somebody's not a fighter um but again but you remember what i said before about physiology is physiology right right so so if somebody is going to their work day and that's their battle for the day right um if from a scientific standpoint if a person has that uh before they go to work then their mental function will be a little bit slower however overall so that's on a micro level immediately yeah. right as a mega trend from what i know um uh, scientifically uh overall it's actually going to improve your mental function because it creates relaxation it creates down regulation of the central nervous system mm -hmm. so uh, so we have two branches of the central nervous system the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch the sympathetic branch as we know from from grade school is the um, the fight or flight and the parasympathetic is rest and digest yeah. so sympathetic branch revs you up parasympathetic calms you down yeah. so so having relations with your significant other um, is a parasympathetic activity. So it, it calms you down, stimulates your parasympathetic branch. So overall, long-term, it's actually going to improve your mental function because if your sympathetic branch is too active all the time, then you will, you will drain your neurotransmitters and your hormones. You right. get it? Yeah. So what, is that, what does that do long-term? Decreased mental function. Right, right. Okay. So, so if we're in a lab, you shouldn't engage in that before you go to work right. in a lab. In a, we're talking facts, right? Black and white, but we don't live in a lab. So my advice to, to anybody is don't think about that at all. Just let what happens happen. Right. Because why would you, why would you stop that? It doesn't make any sense. So my, my recommendation in that regard is let that happen. However it happens. And then, well, so while it. we're on the topic, address it like thirst, or plan it out like meal prep. Sorry, say it again. So as far as sexual intimacy, right? Address it like thirst. So as you kind of need it throughout the week, right? Or uh, more like meal prep, like, hey, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I know, it's a, it's a weird question, a little bit awkward. No, okay. You know, just from no. a practical standpoint. No, like, absolutely. How do you no, no. no, no, we're talking science, so it's okay. Um, no, I mean, my, I'll tell you my personal opinion. I personally don't think there should be any thought regarding this at all. And just yeah. have that happen whenever you want it to happen. Okay. Just make sure everybody's on board with the 9.30 p.m. sleep time. <laughs> right. All right. But, 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 it, but, but remember, um, 
we don't live in a bubble and we don't live in a lab. So yeah, there's certain, there's certain things that, you know, there's general rules, but something like that, if that's going to make you go to sleep at 11, I think it's preferable to have that and go to sleep a little bit later because yeah. all the other benefits as a human being that you're, that are going to happen yeah. from that will probably override, you know, you going to sleep at nine 30. I think that would be foolish. Right. Right. And then I think, uh, there's enough to say about, um, you know, enough evidence pointing towards uh, afterwards getting a better quality of sleep, no? Right, because an argument, and I would also argue that if you, if you per, I mean, I think a person would be insane to purposely not, you know, uh, engage in that situation. Like, I don't know why a person would do that. Yeah. But let's say a person did that. Would their quality of sleep be better if they went to sleep at 9.30, passing up that, that uh, situation? Um, or letting living life and enjoying the beautiful things that life has to offer. Um, and then being in a deeper state of sleep and a state of happiness, like that, I think that would far override that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Balance. It's always, um, emphasized in our tradition. Um, lastly, we're in an interesting time, COVID-19 never been I mean, the world has never seen something like this before where we're at, you know, it's called the great pause. Everybody's inside their homes. Um, what can we be doing to, uh, I think sleep, I think is a little bit easier to manage right now, uh, as long as you're not binging on Netflix and Amazon Prime and things like that. But certainly nutrition becomes a little bit of a challenge because you just have access to food all the time because your refrigerator is right there um, and exercises at home. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you're necessarily going to be making gains right now. Uh, maybe it's maintenance time, kind of like Ramadan. Um, can you speak on like maintaining uh, and optimizing uh, a proper nutrition, exercise and overall health plan during this COVID-19 pandemic so that you can continue to thrive as an entrepreneur and uh, perform optimally. Sure, sure. Um, Before I get to that, I'm going to just touch upon one of the things you mentioned just because it came to my mind. Yeah, yeah, please. You mentioned the concept of of maintaining gains, like physical gains as opposed to increasing your gains. So uh, you remember the term I mentioned, MRV, right? Yeah. Maximum maximum recoverable volume. There's another term in sports science uh, that's, uh, that's called minimally effective volume. Okay. So, um, MEV, minimally MRV effective now volume. MEV, okay. Right. So the minimally, the MEV that a person needs to engage in in order to maintain their state is far lower than what the MEV is to improve their state. Okay. Regardless, regardless of the variable. So whether it's aerobic endurance, hypertrophy, strength, whatever, in any category, the MEV required to maintain where you're at is far less than what it is to progress. So that's one thing that people should get consolation in. You know okay. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, people, you know, people don't need to start freaking out. I'm going to lose muscle. Number one, we've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Um, but if somebody is in that stage of their life where that's a really, really important thing, um, then remember this MEV principle that I just explained. This is based on science. So, um, I think that the biggest issue people are having right now is that they don't have structure in their day being quarantined. Mm, so right. what happens is when we weren't quarantined, Shamile, we had structure. It's an imposed structure, correct? 
-hmm. So um, now we don't have structure, the people who aren't working. So it comes back to the same principles we mentioned before about how to be an effective entrepreneur. You need to schedule your day and your week. Mm -hmm. So I think that even a child right now should have their day structured. Every human being right now, in order to get the most, I think that as human beings, our life on earth is so short yeah. that we should maximize every day and every moment, right? Sure. Yeah. Why waste any moment? Yeah. So in every way, physical, spiritual, um, intellectual, every way. For sure. So, so in order to do that, in order to get the maximum yield out of your day, you have to break it up into pieces so that you're scheduling exactly when you're sleeping, what time you're waking up, when you're working out. Um, now, it doesn't have to be obsessive where you're literally scheduling every single thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be obsessive, but deliberate. Yeah, yeah. just generally have a map, you know? Yeah. Have a general idea, you know? You yeah. know? So that's one thing. If you don't, then life is just going to take you wherever. You're just going to be like a, you know, piece of drifting wood in the right. ocean. And you're so, going to so, go with the current. Exactly. So during this quarantine period, yeah. don't, you don't need to schedule 50 things, but just schedule sleep, exercise yeah. and then when you're going to eat and the rest of the time spend do whatever you're going to do spend time with your family read a book whatever you don't need to be obsessive about it but just schedule the things that you know are there that are going to yield you benefit so your sleep what time you're going to exercise and i think if somebody is having trouble with eating because a lot of people are coming to me and saying i'm eating all the time what should i do well the thing the reason why that's happening is because you're not limiting your time of when you're eating so you should give yourself times of when you're going to eat. And then that's it. Don't eat after that until the next time to eat. You know what I mean? Got so it. if a person has a family schedule three times that you're sitting down with your family and eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you as an individual have a problem, then you got to be disciplined not to eat outside of that. That's the only time you eat. You know what I mean? Okay. So I think the problem people are having is that they're waking up and they're, they're just at the mercy of the day and whatever happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the biggest issue I think people are having is that they're, the refrigerator is always there. Yeah. But, but you have to tell yourself, I'm only eating three times a day. Then right. why are you going to go to the refrigerator beyond that? You right. know? Right. Now, like I said, that, that my fitness pal uh, app, I mean, I, I don't know for everybody, for me, it's a good gauge to guide myself through the whole day. Uh, Cause yeah. I kind of run off of macro, uh, uh, macros, macronutrients. Sure. Yes. So once I've hit my macros, that's it. You know, after that, I'm sticking to probably water and zero calorie drinks and things like that, um, which I try to stay away from. So I try to spread it out over the day so that, you know, um, uh, I'm not, I'm not going into that sort of a situation. Um, but, uh, regarding, regarding home workouts though, yeah. the best thing, the best thing to do is banded workouts. So banded if you have an, yeah, if you have exercise bands, you know, you don't need a lot. Just take exercise bands and wrap them around your doorknob, wrap yeah. them around your banister. You can do rows with them. You can turn around and do alternating punches, chest yeah. presses. You can stand on the band and okay. do overhead presses. If you stand in the middle of the band, yeah. overhead presses like that. You can do tricep extensions standing on the band. Yeah. You can do bicep curls standing on the band. Yeah, yeah, this you is can do, versatile. Yeah, you can yeah. do shrugs. Yeah. Then beyond, beyond that, there's a million body weight, body weight exercises you could do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can, and, and for that, we can go on and on. You can just YouTube body weight exercises. Right. Right. Okay. And then similarly, if you have kettlebells, you can do a million exercises just using kettlebells. Right. Once, right. once again, you don't have to be an advanced trainee. Go yeah. to YouTube and type in beginner kettlebell workout. 
Sure. Begin, yeah. Beginner body, body weight workout. Simple exercises with resistant bands. Yeah. And then YouTube will show you everything. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, for me personally, I'm kind of, you know, almost doing like a Herschel Walker workout, not to that level of reps, you know, thousand sit-ups and thousand push-ups, but mainly push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, hanging knee raises, things like, I just got a power tower in my um, uh, basement. So it's great for dips, hanging uh, knee raises and uh, pull-ups and things like that. And then just a set of dumbbells to, you know, kind of uh, get by with right um and, and that's sufficient for now um and then i guess when the gyms open up you can go back to normal routine but um okay good so and i know youtube has no shortage of videos as far as body weight exercises kettlebell routines and so on and so forth so that's that's really good but i think the main thing that i got out of that is structuring your day so that you're not overeating so that you have you know specific times for eating specific time for exercise and scheduling it in into your calendar so that you actually get to it uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that was um, very critical. Um, so Rod, we're, we're coming up on, uh, you know, the last couple of minutes here. Uh, I think you've answered some of the questions that had come in earlier. Um, any last words of, um, you know, parting advice that you would have for the listeners? Sure. So specifically for the, the people that would be listening to this, your population of entrepreneurs, my biggest advice here mm -hmm. is that uh, to improve function as an entrepreneur, improve cognitive function, you mm -hmm. want to be doing everything you can to limit the body burdens that you have, mm -hmm. limit the amount of burdens that you're going to create in your body physiologically. Yeah. And, and in the same vein, do all the positive things you can to improve cognitive function. Um, when it comes to working out, one of the biggest secrets to improve cognitive function is don't work out to, to absolute exhaustion. Okay. Now, this may conflict with somebody's physical goals. So each individual there, if, as an entrepreneur, has to weigh what's more important to me. If hypertrophy is more important to you than your business, then you can, or at that phase of your life, your business is automated enough where you don't have to go crazy with it. Then maybe now you can focus on some of the physical goals more and you, sure. can, train to fail, you can train to failure or exhaustion more. Does that make sense? Yep. But, but if you're in a fledgling state where, you're, where you need to be firing on all cylinders and you can't afford to be thinking slow, then maybe this is not the time for you to work on your physical goals and just work out for the therapeutic benefits. That makes sense? Yep, for sure. sure. So, so, so as an entrepreneur and somebody who wants to optimize cognitive function in that realm, you need to constantly doing things to increase your gas tank, increase your gas tank, your ability to function longer and sharper. So your sleep, your exercise has to be therapeutic, but not overwhelming. Your, your food intake has to be nutritious, but not excessive because we're trying to pull everything to the brain. That's what I would give people uh, as far as what to take away with okay. for this population and this topic. Phenomenal. I, th I think that was a great summary. Um, lastly, where can people find you? Uh, website, uh, you know, office number, uh, anything that you'd like to give out so that if people want to continue the dialogue with you or come see you, uh, where can they find you? Sure. I appreciate that, Shamal. Um, they can email me at info at kfitphysio.com. That's info at k-f-i-t-p-h-y-s-i-o.com. Okay. Um, and my, web, my website is www.kfitphysio.com. Um, I have an office in Princeton, uh, 707 Alexander Road, next to the um, uh, American Heart Association, their office. Um, 
So uh, anybody wants to uh, bounce any ideas or questions off of me, uh, I, I'm happy to help people um, and give them my feedback. You can email me um, and then we can take it from there. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So guys, that's it for this um, episode. And if you liked what we had to share, you benefited from it, please like, subscribe, and share it with your friend circle. Uh, Dr. Mrazvaros, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing so much of your expertise. We took a lot of your time. This will probably be one of the longer episodes, but I had so many questions for you myself for my own uh, edification and, and education. So uh, thank you again so much. No problem. Uh, so with that, with that, we'll put all of the info for your office and you know how to reach you in the description. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.